Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to another installment of the Local Europe Edition, recorded on Wednesday 25th of October 2017. I'm James Savage and with me I have Emma Lufgren, editor of The Local Sweden. And we're very pleased to be recording this in a lovely studio, so hopefully this week's episode will be easier on the ears. This week we'll be talking about how Sweden is banning bans on begging, yes you heard that correctly, why the crisis in Catalonia is hotting up, and why Berlin is turning into a bit of an aviation desert. But first, Emma, I'm intrigued by a couple of articles we've had uh, on the local in Sweden and Germany uh, recently about glitzy new TV series. First in Germany, there's Babylon, set in 1930s Berlin. Then in Sweden, there's Vortid Enu, or Our Time Is Now, set in Sweden in the 1940s. Now, Babylon is already being sold around the English-speaking world, and Vortid Enu looks likely to be sold internationally too. Isn't it interesting? These non-English language dramas doing well everywhere. And also, so many of these dramas are sort of a little bit historical and nostalgic, right? Yeah, I, and I think it's really interesting how it's particularly non-English language dramas that are doing well, but in, in a time where so many nations seem to be turning inwards, there's still sort of an interest in other languages and other countries in Europe and their history. But also this sort of turning inwards, this 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 kind of uh, this nostalgia element as well, right? Uh, that, that's very much in tune with this. Um, this yeah, time. that's true. And there's been a lot of historical dramas, the, the Downton Abbey hype and everything after that. And, uh, the crown. But, exactly. And uh, I mean, at least the, the new series in Sweden is set in the, in the post-World War II uh, period when Things were starting to look good again and everything's perfect and there are pretty dresses and people having fun. But it's also that, that, that period of time that the Swedes are most nostalgic for as well. They are, aren't they? I mean, Sweden yeah. got out very easy of the World War, so they were able to get back to, to normal life fairly quickly and... Yeah, and then, and then Germany as well. You know, it's 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 before it's it's the period before Hitler's rise to power. It's it's the time of it's the it's the time that um, cabaret is. Yes. You know, it's 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 swinging Berlin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before it it all happened. <laughs> before it all went wrong. Yeah. Anyway, now let's get on with uh, the rest of what we've got to talk about today. By the time you listen to this, Catalonia's regional government and its leader, Carlos Puigdemont, may have declared independence from Spain. 
Spain's Prime Minister Mariano Rajoy has promised to respond by invoking Article 155 of the Spanish Constitution and suspending Catalonia's autonomy. Now, the locals Lee Roden has been following developments. Lee, in practical terms, what does it mean for Rajoy to suspend Catalonia's autonomy? Uh, well, there's several facets to it. So the biggest and, and most obvious one is that he throws out the government uh, and within six months has to call elections. So all the regional executive is gone. Uh, and then there are other things that he's asked for as well. So he also wants to intervene in the regional police force, which means he can replace the people who are in charge of that. And then also intervene in the regional state media, which is principally TV3 and Catalonia Radio. Yeah. So, oh, so exciting really? times. <laughs> exciting times. <laughs> I mean, this, this is pretty drastic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how, how is Pushdemont going to react to this? Well... Everyone's guessing, not least uh, some of the people who voted for him. Um, but the key is that he will appear in front of the Catalan Parliament a day before the Spanish Senate gets a chance to approve Article 155. And it's generally accepted that he has three options on his table, um, all of which either involve making a unilateral declaration of independence, which is the so-called nuclear option, in air quotes, uh, or calling fresh parliamentary elections, or a combination of both. So none of them has a particularly uh, thrilling outcome for anyone who likes stability. So, so which one of those is he likely to go for? I mean, the safe options, or is he more of a... Well, the thing, the thing about this is there is no safe option now. Mm. So the Spanish government's already started the process of taking away Catalonia's uh, autonomy. So even if he declares... Uh, sorry, if he doesn't declare independence, if he calls elections, then the Spanish government might be inclined to push ahead anyway and say, well, you're not fit to call elections and to have any kind of role in that. So we're throwing you out and we'll call elections ourselves. So he has very little to gain in that sense from taking the more stable option, but there are people within his party that want that to happen. But, I mean, what what are Catalans making of this? Because this is so... This sounds so high stakes. This sounds so... This sounds, this sounds sort of scary. And, you know, there have been talks of companies moving their headquarters out of Barcelona <laughs> already. Um... How are people feeling about this? So the thing with the company is there's an important distinction to make there, which is that, as you said, it's headquarters. So at the moment, not many jobs have gone, if any. Um, basically, it's about ensuring that you're in the Eurozone, regardless of what happens, which is just, you know, smart strategy, basically. Um, whether or not that then translates to them moving more is a different question. But really, all that seems to be happening, which we've seen throughout this whole process is... The, the people who are in a position on one side of the fence or the other have just become more entrenched. It doesn't really seem to matter what the development is. It's just, well, you're proving my point now. So people are moving their companies. Well, that's just big business and we don't like them. And ha, they're scared of us. Or, you know, on the other side of the fence, ah, well, I told you this was going to be a disaster. There you go. So, so in, in essence, the whole thing is just sort of spiralling up and up and up. Is there any sense that, that there's, there's a possibility to cool the situation down? The one thing that I would say that is noteworthy that's happened in the last couple of days is that, for the most part until now, the socialists who are the main opposition in Spain and Rajoy's PAP, Partido Popular, have been united about this, about how they will deal with the Catalan secessionist threat, if you like. But today and yesterday, a little crack in that started to emerge. So they have a discrepancy over... The socialists say that if Puigdemont calls elections, then we don't need to go ahead with the Article 155. PAP, no. No, we gave them a time in which they had the chance to do that. They didn't adhere to that, so we're going ahead. 
So th- there is a small possibility, I think, of maybe cooler heads prevailing in that sense if the if the Partido Popular can be pulled back from the the most extreme option provided that push the monarch cause elections. But we'll see. I mean, it's still a, a complete unknown. By the time this airs, who knows what's happened? Uh, there, there have been some. There's been talking some quarters of, of of bringing in mediators from outside, say the EU or something like that. Is that um, something that that's, that that's sort of current that might happen? But it just seems like nobody really wants to talk to the other. Uh, no, and nor does the EU seem to really want to get involved. I mean, they've been pretty consistent in their message about this, which is it's an internal dispute. We're not getting involved. That's that. We've drawn a line under it. It's hard to see how that changes. <sighs> if if the most drastic option happens and they do make a declaration of independence, then perhaps that can provoke someone to get involved. But I think really what Puigdemont done in this last week and a half or so by suspending in inverted commas, if that even makes sense, his declaration of independence, is to try and buy time to encourage international mediators. No one stepped forward. So it's it's really difficult to see how that happens now. So a very, in short, a very unstable and unpredictable situation. Yeah, and scary for regardless of which side of the fence you're on with this, or if you don't have a side of the fence at all, it is scary because it's an unknown. Uh, no one really knows what's going to happen from one day to the next. A lot of things that people thought wouldn't happen have happened. It's escalated very quickly and uh, to a great degree. So yeah, it's not really a, a pleasant time for people who like consistency and stability. <sighs> Well, by the time you listen to this, maybe there, maybe it will have moved on a stage further. Things are happening all the time and every day, and we're reaching a real crunch point. One of one of one of many. <laughs> but um, okay, Leaf, um, I'm sure we'll be talking about this again in the future. But for now, thanks very much. Thank you. A ban on begging by a local council in Sweden has been overturned by the government, rekindling an often fraught discussion about the presence of beggars from the Roma minority in Sweden. The council in Vellinger in southern Sweden would have been the first to class begging as a public order offence, which would make it possible for beggars to have been removed. The ban was opposed by human rights groups who said it unfairly targeted Roma people. Now, Emma's been following the story. Emma, begging has become a controversial issue in Sweden in recent years. Why is this? Well, interestingly, Sweden did actually used to have a begging ban and it was scrapped only a few decades ago because it was thought that, you know, the social safety net was stronger, the welfare state could provide for everyone. But since then, gaps in society have grown, the number of homeless people is growing and begging has returned. And alongside of that, what's also been happening for the past few years is that we're seeing more and more what's kind of casually referred to as EU migrants or Roma migrants travelling to Sweden to beg. So vulnerable people from Eastern Europe using the right to freely travel through the EU. And this is this is the core of it, really, isn't it, of what we're talking about here in Vellinger and what we're talking about with the, the debate in Sweden right now about begging. It's not mostly Swedes who are begging. It's mostly people who have travelled from primarily Romania and Bulgaria to beg in Sweden. Uh, the majority of them, yes. And the numbers have grown. It's now estimated that around 4,000, 5,000 vulnerable, quote unquote, EU migrants are <laughs> living in Sweden, often sleeping outside, begging for money. So you see this a lot outside supermarkets and on the subway in Stockholm and so on. So that's the, term- that's the terminology used in Sweden, EU migrants. Yes. So it sounds like it refers to people like me who've come from another EU country yes, to live in Sweden. I am an EU You're migrant. an EU migrant. But when Swedes talk about EU migrants, it's a euphemism for mostly Roma beggars. It's a nicer word for beggars, yes. Yeah. And how much support is there for a ban on this? 
Uh, well, a slight majority of the public appear to be in favour of a begging ban, according to various surveys. Um, in Parliament, the majority of the parties are actually against the ban, and it's really only the biggest opposition party, the moderates and the anti-immigration Sweden Democrats, who are actively calling for an outright national ban. So how likely is it that something something will happen on this? I mean, have there been... Um, uh, is, is, I mean, are the moderates likely to win the next election? Uh, who knows? Next election is in just about uh, slightly less than a year, and uh, they could very well win. It's up in the air right now. But I mean, it's a tricky issue because there are so many elements to it. I mean, where do you where do you draw the line? Should organisations like, for example, Amnesty be allowed to stand on street corners and ask for money? Um, does it does it really disturb public order when someone is passively sitting outside the grocery store cap in hand? But on the other hand, there are other stories of some people almost harassing passersby for money. And yeah, and 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 I guess if 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 it starts to increase support for far right parties, then um, there then then it's an issue that someone has to deal with at some level, right? Yes, and I mean you could you could say also that it's and a lot of people are arguing this that it's better for the people begging to actually be helped in their homelands and maybe the only way Sweden can can fix this is to is to ban it and um it's interesting in Bellinger it's run by a fairly hardline moderate party that has been pushing this issue and have in a way almost out Sweden democrated the Sweden democrats and they've the the Vellinger Council is also famous for have been, having been very reluctant to take in refugees and really only did it once the government said that look you have to do it yeah and but 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 by being tough on questions like immigration and uh, the uh, and, and begging I mean Vellinger Council has managed to manage for a quite quite a long time at least to keep the Sweden Democrats a bit further out right mm-hmm. maybe yeah and that could very well be true but a lot of some other people, I mean, the other side of that argument would be, are they being uh, unnecessarily tough? I mean, Velling is a pretty nice, posh seaside town in southern Skåne. So th- those who were against the ban would maybe argue that actually there are maybe less than a handful of beggars in Sweden. So in, in Vellinger, sorry. So how much of a problem is it really? Well, maybe we should go down to Vellinger and have a look and see what it's like down there sometime. Maybe we should. Thanks, Emma. Anyone who still believed the clichés about German efficiency has been disabused by the saga of Berlin's new airport. This airport is now seven years late in opening and counting. Now in the same week that bankrupt Air Berlin stopped flying, a Lufthansa board member has said Berlin will never offer significant numbers of long-haul flights. Jörg Lieken, editor of The Local Germany, joins us from Berlin. Now, Jörg, First, this airport was first due to open in 2010, and it will now open in 2019. That's one hell of a delay. Why is this? Um, The airport was on the point of opening in 2011, and they had organised the ceremony. Michael was supposed to uh, open the airport, but within uh, just weeks before it was supposed to happen, the airport management announced that there was problems with the fire safety system, um, and then the opening date was put off, and it was put off again. And I think it's been put off five times now, um, and it's gotten to the point where they don't say a specific date anymore for when it will open. They say that they intend to open it in the autumn of next year, but there's there's no concrete date set, but they're not confident enough to do that. 
I'm, um, I'm picturing Angela Merkel standing there on stage and somebody coming onto stage, tearing the scissors out of her hand. <laughs> it, it was essentially, it was almost that far. It really, really was almost. And there's, there's incredible stories now about uh, two, I think it's two times a week, trains drive, ghost trains sort of drive along the tracks of the uh, of the airport station. There's a so that so that the uh, moss or mold doesn't appear on, so that they stay operational. There's a hotel, there's an airport hotel that has eight staff there who have to maintain it until it opens. And, and so there's you know there's this whole ghost city around around the airport that's that's waiting there for something to happen. And then in the meantime, Berliners are having to cope with the city's two current airports at Schönefeld and uh, Tegel. But but what's wrong with those exactly? And um, I think what's wrong with them comes down to a matter of taste. Uh, some people, most pretty much everybody hates Schönefeld except for me. It was voted the worst airport in the entire world by travellers um, for some sort of uh, travel survey that we wrote about in May. And I think Tegel was voted the eighth worst airport in the world. But Tegel has its fans because um, you don't go through security with everybody there. You just go through security at your gate. So it makes it quite quick to get through. Um, but on the practical and it's quite central so as well, yeah, isn't it? Tegel's very central. Tegel's sort of in Berlin, and there was a referendum at the end of September at the same time as the national election, and most people in Berlin wanted it to stay open. But then there's also an awful lot of people who have to live underneath the flight paths. Um, but also, I mean, from my house, I take the S-Bahn down to the, the uh, inner city trains down to Schoenfeld, and I'm in there in half an hour. So it's, it's pretty brilliant having these little airports in some ways, but... I don't fly to the States, I don't fly to, to East Asia, and you know, for the big, long-haul planes that do those journeys, they, there's not infrastructure to serve them. People would have to take buses out to the, to the aeroplanes. But, I mean, I've, I've, I've flown through both Tegel and Schoenfeld for years, and, and even years ago, they were pretty awful, in the sense that if you wanted dinner or something to drink, there were, no, there, there were hardly any seats in the restaurants, there, was, there were very few restaurants they had, they they had bad food and I mean it was it it was it's pretty late I I mean I, I used to love Schoenfeld up until I had a delayed airplane there by 40 minutes and then I realized there's nothing to do there you can you, you can drink a beer in an overcrowded Irish pub that doesn't even have a, a sort of area the seating area it's just kind of there in a the corridor um, or you can have a Burger King. So, so, so your your love for your your previous love for Schoenfeld was a little bit eccentric. I think, uh, <laughs> I think we can all agree. Uh, but now, but, but but now, particularly with Air Berlin going south as well, um, this is going to mean fewer options for people getting in and out of Berlin. Is this going to have an effect on the economy of Berlin? Well, that's a big question. I I don't know. I think it limits the potential of the city. Um, the big airports in Germany and Frankfurt and Munich, and those are the cities that have the big headquarters. That's where, you know, Frankfurt's obviously got all the big financial companies. It's got the DAX. Munich has got Siemens. It's got BMW. It's got you know any amount of international conglomerates have got their headquarters in in Munich. Um, that Berlin doesn't have an international airport worth the name is, I assume, undoubtedly uh, prevents 
uh, international companies which would otherwise find the city attractive because of everything it, it offers uh, probably aren't going to base their headquarters here. Well, uh, we will see how uh, this develops, but it's um, it's not looking good for people wanting to fly in and out of Berlin. All right, Jörg, thanks ever so much for joining us. Okay, that's almost all from us today. We hope you liked what you heard. But don't forget, if you've got any feedback on any of the things we've talked about today, you can reach us on Twitter or on Facebook at The Local Europe. And also, if you like what you hear, you can subscribe on Acast or on iTunes. And if you really like what you hear, you can give us a rating. But for today, then, it's Arrivederci from me. Uh, And it's Au Revoir from me. And it's Adele from me. Well, Catalan. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Doc. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.